Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Vitola, and I'd like to welcome you to this clinical presentation of Glidewell Laboratories. Today we're going to take a look at an interesting case. We're going to be utilizing some no-prep veneers here for an interesting aesthetic case where the patient is missing a upper central incisor. Now this isn't something we see all the time, but the principles that you see here will apply to other aesthetic challenges that you meet in your practice, and hopefully this will give you some insight as to what we're able to do in order to correct problems like this. One of the neat things about no prep veneers is that there's such a dramatic change in such a short period of time that patients are often very happy and very excited about what we're able to do for them. Even in a case like this where there's a lot of compromising factors that keep this case from looking as good as it could if we prepped this patient for say 10 Empress veneers. The patient didn't want to do that. Initially we had planned on doing just one no prep veneer, but as we looked at the case a little more, we realized that doing multiple veneers, uh, two or three or possibly even four veneers, would be the right answer and we ended up doing three as you'll see. But let's go ahead and take a look at the patient's model so we can get an idea of what kind of aesthetic challenges we were presented with here. The first thing that you'll notice is that our patient is, in fact, missing tooth number nine. You can see it's missing here. Tooth number eight has migrated over. Uh, if you notice the labial frenum right here, that does, in fact, coincide to his midline. So I'll just go ahead and draw that in. So we have an issue here with where his uh, midline is and the fact that tooth number eight has crossed over onto the other side. If we were going to prepare some veneers here, we could easily correct this by reducing a little bit more on the mesial of tooth number eight as we built tooth number nine into the arch to try to shift that midline. Of course, this becomes one of the compromises with a no-prep case is we are not able uh, to change the location of our proximal contacts. We are uh, able to close diastomas and close spaces, but we cannot change uh, the location of where those teeth come together. So that's something that the patient uh, needs to understand, and he did understand that because it was a no-prep case, we couldn't do everything perfectly as we wanted to and uh, understood that as well. Another thing that might be a factor here is the facial prominence of tooth number eight. As we take a look from the occlusal, you can see that that tooth is uh, out to the facial more than certainly tooth number seven and even more than tooth number 10. This becomes a facial limiting factor in a no prep veneer case because we know, since we can't remove any tooth structure, that we are gonna add at least 0.3 millimeters to the most facial aspect of this tooth. In fact, in a lot of these cases, it will be 0.3 millimeters here, although the veneer might be 0.4 or 0.5 in other spots to help us get some ideal arch alignment. Tooth number seven is back to the lingual as well, so that's not gonna present a problem. And really, tooth number 10 appears to be within that facial limiting factor of our other central incisor. So that's one thing we're gonna have to live with is the addition of 0.3 millimeters of porcelain onto this uh, mesial line angle and hopefully that won't make that tooth too bulky. If we were to include the cuspids, you can see, uh, for example, tooth number six is very facially prominent and we would need no prep veneers on four and five. Tooth number three appears to be positioned pretty well in the arch if you draw a straight line across from here. But we're gonna end up just putting three no prep veneers. We're gonna do tooth number seven, tooth number eight, and tooth number 10. So this is a limiting factor. If you are concerned about how this will look, certainly our laboratory can provide a diagnostic wax up for you that you can show to the patient. But the patient's uh, main concern here was the big space that he had between uh, the central incisor and the lateral incisor here. And really anything we could do to close that space was going to be a step in the right direction for him. When making a decision about how many veneers we wanna do in a given case, 
We typically will do, you know, two veneers if necessary for just the central incisors. If we don't like the lateral incisors, we will do four veneers in between here and stop without doing the cuspids. Anytime we include the cuspids, we're going to include one or both of the bicuspids as well. This is a unique case in that we're going to do an odd number of veneers, and that's just because of the fact that we are missing tooth number nine. So what we're going to try to do here on tooth number seven is to bring it out into better arch alignment. Tooth number eight has a worn incisal edge, as you can see here, so we're going to need to be able to go in and straighten out this incisal edge. We'll need to make a decision on the length of this central incisor as well. The average central incisor is 10 and a half millimeters long, and we've obviously had a little bit of wear here. And then the more challenging situation is going to be to try to take this lateral incisor and make it look like the missing central incisor. Uh, we obviously don't have room for a central incisor in a space that's uh, three and a half millimeters wide. You know, for a central incisor that needs to be eight millimeters wide. And we don't have space for a lateral incisor on the distal of that, even if we were able to fit a central incisor inside of there by prepping this case. So really what we're going to do is have our lateral incisor, our central incisor, and then turn this into another central incisor and uh, just do those three veneers and the patient will be missing a lateral incisor, but it's obviously always preferable to have the patient missing a lateral incisor versus a central incisor. The human eye is used to seeing those two central incisors right in the front and a missing lateral incisor is not as big of a deal as a missing central incisor. Because this patient was dental phobic, which was one of the reasons that uh, drove him to choose no prep veneers, uh, he declined to have any ovate ponic receptor work done in this area. When I look at the level of the gingival margin on tooth number eight, my first concern is having the veneer end at the same spot over here on tooth number nine. We can do this one of two ways. We can do it with a modified ridge lap, which I don't prefer because as this area, as we get resorption of the bone and the gingiva starts to recede back, that becomes a food trap, and when viewed from the side, it becomes obvious that it is a modified ridge lap. What I really prefer to do is an ovate ponic receptor site, but because this patient is phobic, he decided not to do that. I would have used my water lase laser to remove some tissue in the area and work my way down to the bone, removing bone if necessary. And we have another clinical DVD on that if you'd like to see how that procedure is done. And I would have been able to take the porcelain veneer that's going to go on this lateral, that's going to mimic this central, hopefully, and put it up into that area so that we'd have the same gingival level on both of these. Again, that wasn't a big concern to the patient. He was more worried about closing this space and having these two teeth uh, resemble each other somewhat. Uh, but the big thing was not having this big black space in the front of his smile. Shade selection has proven to be interesting on a lot of these no prep cases. Um, a lot of times where we wanted the case to end up at an A1, we have asked for an A1, and by the time we put the veneers onto the prep teeth, it looks like an A2. There have been times where we've asked the laboratory for a B1 shade, and they fabricated the veneer force in a B1, and then we tried in with the translucent veneer cement, and it looks like an A1 when it sits on the tooth. So because of the fact that these veneers are so thin, we now routinely ask for a veneer one shade lighter than we want the final shade to be, and it ends up being right on the money. So if we want an A1, because that's what's going to match the surrounding dentition, we will ask the laboratory for a B1. And by the time we get the B1 veneer, put the translucent triant cement in it, and place it on the tooth, it ends up being an A1 when it's all said and done. 
The question has come up, why not just use an A1 veneer then on these teeth and use a more uh, opaque resin cement underneath the veneers? And my answer to that is, well, we, we attempt to not use opaque veneer cements because it tends to block the light transmission as it goes through the veneer, through the cement, and lights up the, uh, the tooth, the root, and the gingival areas over the root of the tooth. So I prefer to use a translucent cement whenever I can, and if the trade-off is just asking for a veneer that's one shade lighter, I would much rather do that than going with a really uh, strong, white, opaque veneer cement that's going to block a lot of the light out from getting into the tooth system. Another shade consideration on a, a no-prep case um, is what the surrounding dentition is going to look like. For example, in this case, doing these three veneers, uh, we're going to leave these cuspids alone, and so we have to take the shade of the cuspids into consideration. Oftentimes, teeth 6 and 11 will be a full shade darker than 7, 8, 9, and 10, so we have that going on our side. But what a lot of patients prefer to do is have a bleaching splint made for them and then bleach these other teeth, or including these teeth, the whole arch if they want to beforehand, and then we'll wait 10 to 14 days for the teeth to completely rehydrate and for the final shade uh, to stabilize before we do the no prep veneers here to match these teeth. Obviously in a full prep case where we're going second by to second by and removing enamel to make room for the porcelain, we can really do any shade we want because they're all going to end up being almost the same shade anyway. The cuspids will probably be half a shade darker. But on a no prep case, one of the things you want to take into consideration is do I want to bleach uh, before I start this case? And I'm not as worried about bleaching these teeth as I am about bleaching the surrounding teeth next to it. And of course the patient, even after the veneers are in place, can continue to bleach these teeth say six months to a year later if they become darker and appear to look too dark for the veneer shade that we've selected for the anterior teeth. When we look at this case clinically, it appears even more dramatic than it did on the stone model. You can see where the patient's midline is according to the frenum, and it, uh, it's not quite halfway over in that central incisor, but it's at least a third of the way over where that tooth has shifted. And the missing central incisor um, has left us a space of only about three and a half millimeters, so we can't just stick another tooth in that space, we're going to have to go onto and bond onto uh, tooth number 10, the lateral incisor, to try to close that space and make it look somewhat like a central incisor. So again, we'll be doing three veneers here on tooth number 7, 8, and 10. We're using some pre-packaged pumice here. This is Preppies from Whip Mix. I love the consistency of this pumice. I love the fact that it's sterile. It's just simple to use. It's unidose. It's disposable. And in an electric hand piece, we're using just a Profi cup to go on and be able to remove uh, any debris that's on the teeth, the salivary pellicle, anything else. We're going to clean up the enamel here before we even try these veneers on. And or we're going to get a very nice bond here. When we do put these veneers on, or if we put these veneers on today, because of the fact that we are bonding to enamel, and it's a much more uh, effective, a much more predictable bond than it is when we have to bond to dentin, uh, for example, when we're doing regular prepared veneers. So after we clean the teeth on the facial, the incisal edge, and about a third of the way down on the lingual, we'll rinse the uh, pumice off of there, and then we'll just try in uh, the veneers individually, and then we'll try them in together to check for contacts. Usually at this point, we will perform all of this without uh, any try and pace, so we can really kind of evaluate what's going on. No prep veneers are a little bit different than regular veneers in the sense that there's really not a gingival margin that we uh, have to check per se and make sure that it's closed in terms of other margins. So um, it's a little bit different and we're checking basically to see the overall fit of the restoration because we know we may have to do some finishing 
afterwards. But typically in a situation like this, we're checking to see how the aesthetics look. And in this case in particular, we're checking to see how well the space was closed where the missing central incisor was and we're bonding another central onto the lateral incisor. So that's what we're doing at this point now that we've checked the contacts and we've kind of checked whatever margins we can check just to make sure they're not grossly open or we don't have any contours that would damage the surrounding periodontal tissues. We've got the try-in paste in place here and we're using a micro brush to go ahead and clean up any excess that we have here. This gives us a good preview of what the final restorations will look like when bonded into place. Again, we like to do this because of the fact that with these no-prep thin veneers, the underlying tooth color can, in fact, influence the final shade. So we do like to try them in and let the patient see it with a mirror uh, as we put them in with the translucent try-in paste. Once we've done that and rinsed the water-soluble try-in paste out of the veneers, we're able to go ahead and etch the enamel of the teeth, and we just follow along the gingiva. As long as the gingiva is not irritated from temporaries or anything else, there's not a problem having the acid etch in contact uh, with the gingiva for about 10 seconds. So that's not a big issue here. Sometimes we will cover the majority of the teeth with the acid etch and then put the gingival margin on if, in fact, we're a little bit worried about um, the etch being in contact with the gingiva. My experience has been that uh, in the presence of healthy gingiva, acid etching will not cause any bleeding. On typical veneers, though, uh, if we have had some irritation from the temporary when we place the acid etch, there is a real possibility of bleeding and contamination of the tooth preparation, so you need to be very careful. And that is one of the advantages of no-prep veneers over veneers. Now that we've done that, we're going to dry this off with a little air stream. You'll notice the frosty appearance that we used to be uh, used to seeing when we would actually etch, etch enamel routinely when we were bonding to tooth structure. And we'd stopped doing that basically with the dentin bonding because we were taught that we wanted to leave it moist. We do have one little area here where we have some irritation. This was more from uh, the Profi Cup during the pumice stage. So we're using uh, a little uh, aluminum chloride styptic here from Van R. And we're using that styptin just to stop any bleeding on a cotton pellet. Once that's been done, we're going to go ahead and apply the unfilled resin to the etched enamel. And, of course, you can see it uh, go from the chalky appearance to the glossy appearance that you would expect from an unfilled resin. And we'll go ahead and coat the entire facial surface of the tooth, the incisal edge, and about a third of the lingual surface as well. And we're just making sure that we go and we can uh, distribute this around the tooth. We don't want to have any excessive pooling anywhere. Um, you can you can leave it like this and wait until the veneer and the cement are in place to cure it. Of course, knowing on these no-prep veneers that the margins aren't uh, quite the precise things on these that they are in, say, a cast cold restoration, I'm going to go ahead and bond this into place ahead of time, cure it into place, knowing that as long as we don't have any pooling at the gingival margin or interproximally, that will be okay. I'm taking the brush down to the patient's bib or to, or to a 2x2, two two, whichever you prefer, and getting some of the bonding agent off as I continue to go around and thin the bonding agent on those teeth. So I'll dry off my micro brush or grab a new one and go back and thin the bonding agent a little bit more as we go back. And then we're just hitting each of these teeth with a two-second pulse from an LED light just to start the initial set. You know, that really is more important when we're doing prepared veneers because we want to get that hybrid layer formed on the dentin itself. It's not as big of a deal to pre-cure the bonding agent here as it would be uh, with the uh, prep veneer. So 
Uh, I still like to do it just to make sure that we get a nice bond to the enamel. And then you can see here we've got the first two veneers put in. Again, this is with the live cement. This is from Ivy Clark Vivident. This is a peel, the medium or translucent shade or shade zero, they also call it. And you can tell it, uh, it looks pretty clear as we put it into place here. Again, you'll notice the use of orange wood sticks to help position the veneers in place, even though these thin press veneers can be as thin as 0.3 millimeters. Using the orange wood stick, I've never had a problem with any of the veneers uh, breaking before. We're not hammering them into place with a mallet, but we do take the stick and push it into place, and then we'll use the smaller end of the stick to push the veneer down from the facial. Sometimes it'll get in the way of the curing light, so here I'm just using a cord packing instrument to hold the veneer down on the facial and make sure it's not going anywhere. As my assistant comes in and does an initial cure on the cement itself, she'll cure it for three to five seconds, at which point we'll check it with an explorer. And that's exactly where we want to get it to, that gel stage that you see right there. She's giving a three to five second cure on the lingual as I remove the cement from the facial. At this point, it's very easy to remove with an explorer. It's easy to work the embrasures. And it's also easy to use floss interproximally to be able to remove any excess cement. If we go to our full and final cure before we remove this interproximal cement, we're going to end up using uh, serrated strips for sure to clean it out. And I'm using them here because I just find it to be convenient and faster than floss. My experience has been that if I don't use these serrated strips first, when I go in with the dental floss, I will snap the floss more times than not. So these are safe-sided strips. There is no uh, polishing medium on either side of the strip. It's just serrated on the one edge. So all I'm doing is breaking through any bonding agent or, or cured cement that's happened to be in place and pushing it out towards the gingival embrasure. I'm not opening the contacts at all. Um, by removing porcelain, I'm basically just pushing excess cement out of the way to make cleanup a little bit easier. So I'm going through with the Explorer now, removing any loose pieces that happen to be there. Once we've gone through and removed all the cement and bonding agent from between the teeth, then we can go to our full cure. As always, there's really no such thing as over curing these restorations. We want to make sure that um, they are cured everywhere. And with some of our newer LED lights, all it takes is uh, 10 to 15 seconds on the facial aspect, 10 to 15 seconds on the lingual. Uh, if you have a laser, it can cure even faster than that. So um, this isn't a, a point of the procedure where we tend to rush things. We take our time and go around and cure all the restorations completely before we do our final cleanup around the margins of these restorations. If we have any excess um, resin cement stuck around the margins, that's a little difficult to get off with an explorer. I'll just use a sickle scaler to uh, carry it right along the margin. And in an attempt to be as gentle as possible to the gingiva, I'll try to take only the tip subgingival as we clean up any excess cement that's around here. Again, cleaning up the majority of this resin cement during these, the material's gel stage makes this much easier because we tend to just have little spicules here or there that we can pop right off with that scaler. And if we can do this without having to run uh, a handpiece around those margins, uh, that's even better yet because it's almost impossible to get a nice glaze back on the porcelain and get that smooth surface back. This is a 7408 to 7408 uh, carbide burr being used here to blend the lingual margin where the veneer stops on the lingual and uh, there's usually some excess cement there as well so I'll just use the 7408 to kind of smooth that contour because it's easy to get to and a lot of times if you don't do that you're going to have uh, an occlusal interference either in centric or in protrusive so we're just running the handpiece at a slow speed in an electric handpiece along 
that lingual margin, and we're now checking the bite and checking protrusive to make sure that uh, these three veneers uh, allow the patient uh, to get their mandible uh, where it needs to go. And once we've completed that, we're going to go ahead and remove any excess resin cement from the front. This is actually a brownie cup, uh, a cup that you may be familiar with from a cast gold technique. These cups, brownies, greenies, super greenies, uh, are from Shofu. And when I was in dental school, we used these uh, with cast gold. And I still do use them with cast gold restorations, but we're using them here because it's a a great way to make sure that uh, you get all the resin cement off the porcelain without affecting the glaze on the porcelain at all. Because it's a rubber wheel, it will simply remove any cured cement that's on the front of the veneers without causing any change to the veneer itself. In an electric hand piece, you've got to slow these way down, especially with these cups in place. And we'll run these at around 13,000 um, RPMs because of the fact that uh, if you run it any faster, you can get a mandrel bending and a cup flying out of the handpiece. So Now we're using a one-gloss disc. And uh, this also does a very good job. This isn't quite as aggressive as the brownie cup, so it doesn't really get, you know, uh, cured cement off the front. But once you've cleaned most of it up, it does a good job of getting any unfilled resin or anything else that's left, including some of the brown particles from the brownie cup or wheel itself that might stick to any resin cement irregularities that are still cured to the front of the tooth. So once we've had an opportunity to go over with the brownie cups and wheels, then we'll go in. Uh, with the one gloss uh, cups and wheels. And because of the pointed shape of this, we can take it a little farther into the gingival embrasure and make sure that everything is smooth there. We've now finished the polishing at this point. I can see that uh, the one area of the gingiva that remains irritated is the distal of number nine. Um, When the patient comes in for his after photographs in four or five days, that'll be completely healed. That's one of the reasons why we don't take after pictures on the same day that we cement the restoration. So again, you can see the patient's midline, uh, tooth number eight, is pretty much right underneath his nose. Uh, But that wasn't his main concern. In fact, at at no point during the treatment planning or during the case did he mention that uh, having his maxillary midline off was the thing that was really bothering him. What was really bothering him was the big space between tooth number eight and tooth number 10. And what we were able to do is bond what appears to be a central incisor onto tooth number 10, the lateral incisor. And with some creative shaping from the lab, you can see how um, they placed that mesial line angle where they did and then kind of rolled the porcelain back into that open gingival embrasure. So they close the space and they kind of make it look like a central incisor all at the same time. Now, obviously, if we had prepared this case, either for you know three veneers or eight or 10 veneers, The results would have been much more dramatic, and we could have fixed the midline issue as well. But on a patient who was a dental phobic, who didn't have a lot of money, who didn't even wouldn't even let me recontour the gingiva for that one tooth, for him this was a huge success. And the ability to walk in in the morning and have that space there after all these years, and then walk out an hour and a half later with the space closed, he was extremely happy. And we've already received uh, two referrals. Uh, from people who he was showing off uh, his new veneers to. So again, with the no prep veneers, it's a little different mindset for us as dentists than with the prep veneers. But if we keep the patient's uh, goals in mind, usually we'll find that uh, much like the patient, we're not disappointed with the results of these types of cases as well. On behalf of everyone here at Glidewell Laboratories, thank you for spending some time with us today. And thank you for your continued commitment to quality dentistry.